You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello, welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. Today's guest is an incredible author. Not only is he a fantastic writer, which I appreciate so much, but he's got insight into what's really going on. And I don't know about you, but for me, figuring out what is really going on is such a driving force, whether it is infidelity and betrayal, or it's just an impasse that you've come to in a relationship. So many of us spend so much time and effort saying, what is going on here? Why is this so hard? And why can't I make this work? So with that, today's guest is Terry Real, and he is the best-selling author of the book, I Don't Want to Talk About It, Overcoming the Secret Legacy of Male Depression, which I know many of you have read. And if you have not, I highly recommend it. Not only for your relationships, but if you have sons, this has helped me with my own sons enormously. He's also written, How Can I Get Through to You? Reconnecting Men and Women. He's a practicing family therapist. He's been one for more than 20 years. He has lectured and given workshops across the country. And in March of 2002, he founded the Relation, Relational Empowerment Institute. His work has been featured literally all over. NBC Nightly News, Today, Good Morning America, and of course, Oprah. His latest book is what we're going to focus on today. This book is called Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. And for any of us, but especially those of us in the betrayal recovery space, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. So with that, welcome to the show, Terry. I'm so honored to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's a delight to be here with you. I appreciate it. Let's dive right in on this book, Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. Wow. Tell us more about that and what inspired you to kind of create this kind of a, this kind of a work. You know, I think it's particularly important for uh, the people who are listening in today who are coming back from betrayal or infidelity. Um, it goes like this. Uh, what we know is that our autonomic nervous system scans our body four times a second saying, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And if the answer is yes, I'm safe, then we stay in the wisest, most mature part of our brains the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that matures last in us as individuals and that evolved uh, last uh, most recently in the species. It is the uh, thoughtful, deliberate, able to stop, take a breath and choose part of us. If the answer is no, I'm not safe, and who on the receiving end of infidelity ever feels safe, then what happens to us is that a more primitive part of our brain lights up and we are literally taken over. We are trauma triggered. We are flooded with a, a more primitive part of the brain that is not about us, that loses that sense of relationship and the whole and connection. And it's all about me, 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 me. It's about survival. It's fight or flight survival. And when we're in you and me consciousness, which is literally a different part of our brain and, and nervous system, we, we, we don't remember the relationship. What we remember is uh, you and I are adversaries. We are in a win-lose battle. The world is a zero-sum game in which one of us wins and the other one loses. And it is a power contest between the two of us. And when you are in that part of you, I call it the adaptive child part of you, 
when you're in that part of you, nothing good will happen. You will not solve anything. You will not make anybody feel better. All you're going to do is act out some immature agenda. And if I may, Laura, I, I, in the book, I talk about five losing strategies that's part of this more primitive adversarial you and me consciousness. You ready? Yes, please. What you're going to be about when you're in your adaptive child part is proving that you're right or controlling your partner. I will be happy if you only or and this is a big one after you've been betrayed, unbridled self-expression, ventilating. You did this two weeks ago. You did that. You son of a bitch. Last year, you did that. You always, you never, you are, uh, and you're off to the races. Unbridled self-expression. Retaliation, like in a, a retaliatory affair, for example. I'm going to hurt you the way you hurt me so you understand what you did to me. And withdrawal. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. Control, being right, controlling your partner, ventilating, retaliating, or withdrawing. These are all strategies of that immature part of you I call the adaptive child. It will never resolve anything. And so what this book is about and teaches people is in the heat of the moment, when you're triggered, how literally how to cultivate the practice of taking a breath or 10 or walking around the block or calling a friend or having a little talk with the little girl or little boy who lives inside of you, chilling yourself out, getting yourself recentered. I call it remembering love, remembering that the person you're speaking to is someone you care about. They're not the enemy. And remembering that the reason why you're speaking is to make things better between you. If you're not centered in that place, I have great advice for you. Shut up. <laughs> I love that. I love so much of that because you also talk about like in the book about this whole winner takes all culture. And it's so easy. I think even when we want to be in a healthy, happy relationship to get stuck in the mindset that I deserve this and I can take this and I am right. And I'm going to make you see. And too often we lose sight of the fact that the the, the person we're hurting the most truly is ourself. That's right, because we're born to be relational. We're born to be connected. And my, uh, some of the book, Us, is literally um, a critique of what I call the toxic culture of individualism. And I even go into the history of the idea of individualism. What we know is that neurologically, we're not freestanding individuals. We don't self-regulate. We co-regulate each other's nervous systems all day long. We're born to be social. But what happens when you've been betrayed is that that cultural movement toward individual empowerment takes over and everybody and their sister is going you go girl you give them a piece of your you know and my pal esther perel i'm sure you, you know her talks about what she calls the new shame which is taking the son of a gun back yes and i'm working with a woman right now who's getting over a betrayal her husband has done a complete transformation under my guidance he's a completely different kind of guy He's living a different life, and uh, the, her uh, two teenage kids hate him, want nothing to do with him because he's her mom. And she wants to take him. She kicked him out of the house, and she's ready to bring him back in. And she has to face down her kids, her mom, her therapist, her 12-step sponsor, all of her friends, and, and say, excuse me, I'm sorry. I love this guy. I want him back. When everybody is saying, be self-respecting, stand up for your, throw the bum out. And I, I'll tell you, uh, over and over and over again, I see perfectly workable marriages destroyed uh, because of this push for individual rights and individual empowerment. You know what? Two-thirds of couples who uh, go through an infidelity survive it, and that's not even factoring in getting help. Uh, I don't want someone who's been through an infidelity to merely exist. I want them to use the infidelity as a springboard to transform. 
transform each of the two partners and transform their relationship. But with the right help, you can do that. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that we went there because my listeners are very familiar with my story. My husband cheated on me for 15 years with five different women. We are together and we are happier because of it. That infidelity coupled with your book, I Don't Want to Talk About It, helped him deal with his covert depression, helped bring that to life. So it became overt depression, helped me understand what is going on with his anger? What is going on with his acting out? Oh, hey, this thing called trauma, it's real and it's significant and we can't just cover and hide it. And that helped. And sometimes I shudder to think if I would have followed the traditional, you know, individual way of fight him, take him for all he's worth, make everybody mad, prove you're right. Going down this list of things, withdraw, retaliate, blow up on him. Yeah. Yeah. It would have created more pain for me. It would have created more pain for my kids. It would have destroyed him. It would have created more pain in the world and less relating. And what I need is healthy relationships. That's right. And it's all about whether the person who cheated on you will transform or not. And that's often with help, uh, with good therapeutic help. And a lot of therapy is not particularly helpful. The therapist has to be willing to take the son of a gun on. And most therapists are too nicey-nicey and won't do that. But you find yourself a good therapist. I've trained therapists in my model. I have thousands of therapists around the country. Go to my website, terryreal.com, and we'll get you a, a relational life therapist, somebody trained in my method. And one of the things that distinguishes uh, relational life therapy from other therapies is we don't just focus on shame. We also focus on grandiosity, not just inferiority, but superiority, being above the rules, being entitled, looking down your nose at your partner, all of which is characteristic of cheaters. And so you drag this son of a gun into a therapy that's really going to support you. And you see if they can learn how to be a different kind of person. And if they can, you'd be a fool to walk away. And if they can't, I'll help you pack a bag. Absolutely. So well said, because it is about us and our happiness and a relationship takes two. And you're right. You need a very good therapist to address both ends of the spectrum, which is something that I think so many people don't understand how it flip-flops between the grandiosity and the shame and how it's not just one or the other, but it's that tension between the two that really makes that really makes the relationship difficult. And that's what I'm really excited about with us because a relationship does take two. And so often we get trapped in that rugged individualism that I'm going to do this for me and then I'm going to do it for me. But we lose sight of the fact that we are creating a whole almost separate entity called us. That's true. Us is true. What I say to people is your relationship is your biosphere. Uh, and the, the great delusion of patriarchy, which we all live in, and of individualism, which we all live in, individualism says you're not in nature, you're apart from nature. That's what individual means. That's what the word means, being apart from, uh, being irreducibly yourself. So uh, the delusion of individualism is you're apart from nature. The delusion of patriarchy is you're above nature and able to control it. And what I, what us is about, this book is about, is how to trade in a power and control model for a collaborative model. It, for example, the relational answer to the question, who's right and who's wrong, is who cares? Hmm. It doesn't matter. What matters is, how are we going to work this out in a way that's going to work for both of us? So it's really about giving up, thinking of yourself as an individual and remembering that you're a team and all, uh, there's a whole, it, there's a great deal of practicality in the book. There, there's a new map. We're not two individuals fighting. We're a team trying to work things out. And there's a set of uh, tools uh, that go along with it. Uh, it's not, a, for example, if one of you wins and the other one loses, you both lose. And that's not some pie in the sky bullshit. You both lose because the loser will make the winner pay for it. Count on it. 
Yes. You're, you are linked. You're in the ecological system together. You are not apart from each other. And when you start thinking about, okay, it's not about I have to sacrifice to her or him. I have to, one of us wins the other. It's about what does the biosphere need from us in order to stay healthy? Because we live in it. I love that term biosphere because yeah, you're right. So why is it that we all do want to prove that we're right? Is it a brain thing? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a combination of all of that? Because you're right. We all want that healthy biosphere, but it's almost like we're doing everything in our power to destroy it. You know, I I go into this in the book. I I have a soft spot in my heart for all five losing strategies. (laughs) And uh, I've been no stranger to all five of them in my day, let me tell you. Uh, the, um, the, The impulse behind proving that you're right is actually a wish that you and your partner are on the same page, that you see it the same way. And uh, one of the things I write about is that when you move out of you and me consciousness into that mature part of your brain, there's a little loneliness. It's more differentiated. It's less boundaryless. And so what you have to tolerate uh, when you realize that this is my, you speak with humility, this is my version of what's right. Honey, what's yours? When you move into that, you have to let go of that very young wish that we're twins, we see everything the same way, there's never any disagreement, and I need my partner to see it the same way I do. And there's a little grief. And one of the things I say is that when you move out of these immature states into a more mature relationship, often there's a little grief, there's a little loneliness. It's a little lonely being an adult, a little bit. But what it grants you is the world. Uh, So I understand. For example, retaliation. Same thing. What fuels retaliation is a perverse form of community. I want you to feel what I feel so that you'll understand. So you'll fall on your knees and say you're sorry, but it never works. Punishing somebody will never make them more empathic to you. So all of these losing... One of the things I teach my students is always be respectful of the exquisite intelligence of the adaptive child. This is how you learn to cope as a kid. You did exactly what you needed to do to get by. But I have a saying, adaptive then, maladaptive now. The strategies you used at four, five, six are not going to work in your marriage. No, they're not. No, they're not. I like how you pointed out that there's some grief and there's some loneliness around that because so many of us, myself included, still hold this romantic vision, this romantic ideal that, you know, Prince Charming will come in and sweep us off our feet and that there will be happy happily ever after. And, you know, like I'm a lawyer, I'm smart. I get it. I've lived a long life. I know that's not real. Yet there is that child part of me that's like, I'm sure it'll happen. I know. I just want to be taken care of. And I want I want him to meet my needs. And I don't even have to want to say, you know what I say? I, I have a little stick on that. Here's what I say. Uh, Cinderella's dead. Uh, Prince Charming probably just got out of rehab. And <laughs> if you want it, girl, roll up your sleeves and fight for it. Because that's what it's going to take to get what you want. It, you know, uh, tons have been written about how women don't have voice in their relationship. Yes. Okay, well, find your voice and stand up for yourself. But one of the things, and again, I think this is really good for your listeners on this topic. Let me see if I can do it. Bear with me for a moment. I'm going to fade back and be a little abstract. Under patriarchy, which is what we all live in, we are, we are fish and patriarchy and individualism is the water we swim in. Under patriarchy, you can either be connected or you can be powerful, but you can't be both at the same time. Because power is dominance, it's power over. When you move into power, you break connection. And what happens to a lot of betrayed women in particular is they move from disempowered voicelessness to Katie, bar the door, 
screw you and the horse you rode in on. And neither of those is what I want. So one of the things I teach people in general and women in particular is what I call loving power, soft power, how to stand up for yourself and stand up for the relationship in the same breath. It's the difference between saying, Laura, I don't like how you're talking to me, you know, shape up or saying, Laura, I want to hear what you have to say, honey. Could you tone it down so I could really listen to it? And no one knows how to use soft power. By and large, read my book and learn how to do it because it's not moving into soft power where you're fully empowered and you're cherishing your partner in the same breath that moves us beyond patriarchy. And that is new territory for all of us. Yeah, that is new territory for all of us. And that is so powerful. And it's my deepest wish that we could start teaching some of these skills in elementary school that we could start using. Yeah, that power. So we all grow up with it. Men and women alike, because there is such pain on both sides. And that's one of the things that I appreciated so much about your, I don't talk, I don't want to talk about it book was how you talked about the way boys were castrated in society and the way girls were shut down in society and how we would lose our voice and boys would lose that empathy and that connection. And it's not their voice and boys lose their hearts. Yes. Absolutely. Right. And while we're on men and women, uh, and I also want to include non-binary folks as well, but broad generalization, in our culture, as feminism has written about for 50 years, women lose power. The wound to girls and women is disempowerment, over-accommodation, what my pal Carol Gillen calls the tyranny of the nice and kind, over-accommodation. The wound to boys and the wound of girls, by the way, is the edge of adolescence, 13, 13, 14, 15. The wound to boys is not about disempowerment. If anything, they're overly empowered. The wound to boys and men is disconnection. The way we, quote unquote, turn boys into men is by severing them from their emotions, their vulnerability, their hearts, and from other people. And the healing move for women is loving power. The healing move for men is opening up your hearts and learning to listen and connect. Mm. Reconnection is the essence of the work that I do with men. Beautiful. Beautifully said. So easy. And then I can see how these five like toxic ways of being play into that. Because as a woman, if I'm feeling like I don't have a voice and then I finally get that rage and I find out somebody's cheated on me, it is this unbridled self-expression, but then that's hammering away at the man's heart and it's going to shut him down more. And that is not loving self-expression, right. it's not loving power. Right. It's not loving power. And, you know, look, if it's fresh, if you just learn about being cheated on, you are in a trauma state. It is traumatic. And I like to say, you just got hit over the head with a baseball bat. You're like, whoa. And, you know, you yell and scream and carry on and call some names. In that early stage, fine. I don't approve of it, but I'm not going to land on you like a ton of bricks. But as you work on putting the relationship back together, you have to lose your self-righteous indignation, come down from your contempt, and work with the person you're with. I call this working with the guy you've got instead of the one you deserve. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) But work with the the person that you're with and teach them how to be a better husband lover to you. Yeah. Now that goes right into kind of that second step that you were talking about, controlling your partner. What is the difference between guiding and showing somebody how you want to be treated and control? Because I know there's sometimes a fine line there. Well, uh, first of all, it's the difference between a request and a demand. A request is, hey, this would be really important to me. Could you please do it? A demand is do it or you damn well wish you had. And requests are great and demands are toxic. Mm. Uh, Unless it's a bottom line. And there is a place for bottom lines. 
uh, go into rehab for your drinking or we're done. Cheat on me again and we're done. These are perfectly fine. And, uh, you know, oftentimes the other person, well, that's an ultimatum. At which point I go, yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. That's a, uh, you, they're, not, they're not controlling you. You can choose to not go to rehab. You can choose to go cheat on him or her again. But if you do, they won't be around. You get to do whatever you want, but these are the consequences. So it's not control. It's, it's your bottom line. There's a difference. Yeah, that, that makes sense because having clear boundaries is very important. And you're right. It's, it's, it's just informing the other person of, hey, this is what I'm going to do if. Yeah, yeah this is what I'm going to do if. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That makes sense. A request versus a demand. And again, it sounds like that's something that just takes a lot of practice, a lot of self-awareness. Am I raging or am I thinking about what I want, feeling into my own boundaries and then making that request of you? Yeah. And it's really, you see, as a therapist, when I'm with somebody, uh, the most important question I ask is not what are the external circumstances? Can handle that. It's not even what, which is very important. What's the choreography? What's the dance? Beat? You know, the more she pursues, the more he distances, the more he distances. That was that's important, but that's not the most important. The most important question is this: Which part of you am I speaking to? Am I speaking to the here and now adult, thoughtful part of you, or am I speaking to some immature child? that lives inside of you that got triggered through trauma and that has now grabbed the wheel. Well, one of the things I say, Laura, is when an inner child kicks up in us, I want you to put them on your lap, put your arms around them, hear them out, love them up, and take their sticky hands off the steering wheel. You're not driving the bus, I am. And literally, when my wife Belinda and I fight, and we don't fight that much anymore, we did 30 years ago, but we're in recovery. Um, and when I say recovery, I mean relational recovery. I don't mean addiction recovery. But at any rate, um, nowadays, if, if Belinda's mad at me and she blasts me, mm -hmm. I'll take little Terry. I'll take that vulnerable little boy. He's about eight. Uh, and he's vulnerable, but he's a street fighter. I yeah. grew up in I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. He knows how to fight. I grew up in a violent home. He knows how to fight. And I put him behind me. And here's what I say. Look, I'll make you a deal, little triggered Terry, little rageful Terry. Uh, between Belinda's anger and you is me, my strong body, my big self. I'll take the blast and you're protected. That's my part of the deal. Here's your part of the deal. You let me deal with Belinda. Don't you deal with her. You're going to make a mess of things. And so when you're triggered, when your heart's racing and your armpits are sweating and your voice, and you, you know when you're triggered, yeah. take a break. Slow down. Breathe. We do a lot of breathing in relational work. My friend, the German mystic Thomas Ubel has a saying, urgency is our enemy and breath is our friend. Hmm. Breathe. If you can't do it while you're standing there, take a time out. Go for a walk around the block. Splash some water on your face. Meditate for 10 minutes. Do whatever you need to do to get re-regulated so that you're in your adult self and then go back and talk to your partner. That's huge. That is so huge. And I'm curious, how often when you ask that question, like who is there, how often is it our adult self? Because I'm guessing it's not very often. No, it's not. Not when when I start working with somebody, they they usually only have a sliver, and I have to pull it out of them and uh, and then teach. But you know, I I, I have a great faith in the, the real you underneath the crap, and I will often say to like I'll say to a cheater, I would say to your husband, what what man? What's his first name? His name is Sean. Sean, I would say back in the day when, we, when, when if it all first was hitting the fan, I would say, Sean, you're a nice guy. You're a decent man. I'm sure he is too. You're a decent man. I have been with men 
who are indecent down to the bone. They're called sociopaths. And brother, they're cold. But you're not. You're warm. I could tell you love your wife. You, you feel bad about what you did. You're a decent. You know what, Sean, I would say? What's so sad? I am talking to a decent man who has behaved indecently for the last umpty ump years. Will you let me rescue the real you from this crap? Can we uncover all of the junk and let that decent man see the light of day? Now, who's going to say no to that? Right, right. And you know what I love about that question too? If the man is not in the place to be like, yes, help me, that's powerful information because if they say no, there is no us. <laughs> if they say no and they betrayed you, you're done. Yeah. You're done. Whether you stay or go, as far as I'm concerned, depends on this. If the cheating partner uh, has it in him or her to do the work and transform, you'd be a fool to leave. If they don't do the work to transform, you're a fool to stay. Yeah. Oh, so well said. So well said. And it is work and it is a process. And do you have any words of wisdom on that? Because like you were just talking about urgency, so many of us on both sides, either the betrayed side or on the cheating side, we so desperately want it fixed. We so desperately want it done. We see the good guy underneath. We see what a healthy relationship could be like. And the work is just, it's just difficult and it's painful. And, and like moving from covert depression to over depression in order to heal it. Sometimes that journey just looks so long and difficult. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I'll tell you what I, uh, what I say to, uh, it's usually a guy who's walking, but what, what I say to someone is, um, what kind of parents did you have? What kind of parent do you want to be? What do you want to pass on to your children? And I bring in the children. If I can, it's the height of presumption to quote yourself, but I'd like to quote uh, from, I don't want to talk about it. Um, here's the quote, family pathology rolls from generation to generation, like a fire in the woods, taking down everything in its path until one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face the flames. That person brings peace to his ancestors and spares the children that follow. And I'll tell you, a lot of, I specialize in tough guys. And a lot of these tough macho guys will not do the work for themselves will not do the work for their quote-unquote witchy wives, but they will do the work to spare their children. Wow, that's powerful. That is powerful. And yes, the whole generational impact of trauma is so significant. And I'm so, so thankful that you know, people like you are out there writing about this, that you've got the Institute, that you're doing the work with these men, not only to save our ancestors and ourselves, but definitely to save our children as well. Yeah. There's an old AA saying, pass it back or pass it on. Huh. Uh, uh, we've all been dealt a, a hand of cards. Uh, we all evolved our uh, adaptive strategies as children to cope with whatever was being thrown at us. Uh, we can either play them out uh, or we can change the hand. And uh, that's the great miracle that is uh, offered to us if we take it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Play it out or change the hand. And that kind of fits right in with retaliation, because I think retaliation is playing it out. Well, I'm going to do this to you and now you're going to do it. And, and it never ends. No, it never ends. None of those losing strategies ever end. Ventilating is endless. And, and, you know, therapy has been a, a great aider and a better of ventilating. I, I had a gal slam into my office, you know, with her cheating husband. And it was like, you son of a man. And it was just a stream of verbal abuse. And I said, look, you got to stop this. And she goes, no, my therapist says I found my voice. It was not having a voice that brought him to cheat to begin with. Amen. I talk about the difference between individual empowerment and relational empowerment. 
Individual empowerment is I was weak, now I'm strong, go screw yourself. Relational empowerment is I was weak, now I'm strong, I'm going to bring my full strength into this relationship, stand toe to toe with you. Now, what do we need as a team to make this work? Let's get going. And it's got a completely different energy. And individual empowerment is celebrated all through this culture, including therapy. Relational empowerment is hard to find. It really is. You know, it's not even a phrase that rolls trippingly off of our tongue. You know, we're not sitting there saying, I really want to feel relationally empowered. And that's a shame. That really is a shame. We don't, we don't live in a relational culture. We live in an anti-relational, narcissistic, addictive uh, culture, patriarchy. And within that culture, uh, men and women don't learn the skills that we need in order. You know, we've never wanted more from our relationships than we do right now. We want to walk hand in hand in the beach. We want long heart-to-heart talks. We want great sex in our 50s, 60s, 70s. We want to be lifelong lovers, but we have shit skills. We don't have the skills we need to pull that off. And so that's why a book like us is, I wrote it, is to give people a vision of what living relationally looks like and real practical skills to get it done. Yeah. And and I'm going to take that a little bit deeper too. the vision. Yes. And the practical skills are both a part of it. And there's also that practice that we're going to mess it up as we're learning it along the way and how not to be like, oh my gosh, that was awful. I devolved into all five of these in the same day. It's all over. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, you know, if a couple I'm working with uh, gets it, you know, reads my book, starts doing the skills and, and they're healing and they're going like a, a bat out of hell. Uh, oftentimes I'll prescribe a relapse. I'll say, you know, you people need to make a mess because it's essential that you fall off the horse, don't break your neck, dust yourself off and get back on the horse again. Uh, I, I write about this in the book. All relationships are an endless dance of harmony, disharmony and repair closeness, disillusionment, and a return to closeness. And all the skills come from moving from disharmony into repair. And if you've been cheated on, you're in intense disharmony. You know, one of the things I talk about, and I've gone all over the world talking about what I call normal marital hatred. I got to tell you, in 20 years, not one person has come backstage and said, Terry, what do you mean by that? (laughs) <laughs> the disillusionment phase is dark. It hurts. You're lonely. You feel like it was a mistake to be with this guy and you hate his or her guts. That's fine. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. You just have to know how to crawl out of the hole. And our culture doesn't teach us how to do that. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And I like that you talk about it and that people can resonate with it because that was actually something I grew up, I don't know how I heard this from somebody, but somebody said, you will hate your spouse for sometimes years at a time. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's normal. So it didn't trigger me as much when I hated my spouse, whereas my spouse had the idea that everything was harmonious all the time. And if it wasn't, there was a huge problem and it put him in a state of threat. And then he's a fighter. So he's going to fight it out. And it's just that perception going in that normal merit, normal marital hatred is a thing and that it doesn't mean the end is near. You know, James Framo is the father of couples therapy. He created couples therapy back in the fifties. And he once said, this is back in the fifties. So it was assumed the person you were sleeping with was your partner. He said, the day you turn to the person in bed with you, And you say to yourself, oh, my God, I've been had. This is a dreadful mistake. This is not the person I fell in love with. That, says Framo, is the first day of your real marriage. (laughs) I love that. I haven't heard that before. That's phenomenal. (laughs) Well, you know, we all long for the divine. If we're honest with ourselves, we really want gods and goddesses who will complete us and never fail us you know, be scintillating intellectual conversationalists and uh, and sex workers in the bedroom. Uh, We all want everything. And that's a shame because 
the reality is, is the collision of your human imperfections and mine that is the very stuff of intimacy. That how we handle that collision is the guts of who we are as a couple. And we need to embrace it and work with it rather than try and control it or run from it. I love that. And I would love to hear your definition of intimacy, because you're right. That is the stuff intimacy is made from. And sometimes I think people have um, a misunderstanding about what intimacy is. And I'm just curious if you have a working definition of what that means for you. Uh, I have two. The first is, uh, I got this from one of my great mentors, a woman named Pia Melody, a terrific uh, a pioneer in the recovery community. Uh, intimacy is the conjunction of truth and love. Ooh, I love that. Intimacy is the conjunction of truth and love. And, and you know that feeling, Laura, when like a, maybe a, a bestie or somebody sees you down to the ground, sees all of your warts and moles and thinks you're the greatest thing anyway, that's intimacy. And where people fall is you get a kind of over-accommodating, often woman, who's full of love, but they're not letting in the truth. Or you get somebody who sees the truth, but they're not very loving. And uh, the trick is to uh, really have unshielded eyes, see your partner for all their flaws and choose to love them anyway. That's, that's real intimacy. That's beautiful. And I think According to that definition, that's why relationships can be so much better after a betrayal, after an infidelity, because we truly see another person's pain, shame, vulnerabilities. And when we bring in that love with that truth, that's powerful. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You, you, you got it exactly right. Um, I talk about three phases of a relationship. The harmony, disharmony, and repair phase. Yeah. Uh, first phase, the harmony phase, I call love without knowledge. Oh, you love the yeah. person. And there may be a soul recognition that this is the guy for you. But you don't know what, they, you don't know what the bottom of their closet looks like. or You don't know whether they brush their teeth in the morning or not. Right. So love without knowledge. That's the harmony phase, you know, stars in your eyes. The second phase is disillusionment. Oh, and I, I the second phase is disillusionment, that disharmony phase. And I call this um, uh, knowledge without love. Hmm. Now you see your partner in all their imperfections and you are not happy. Right. And then the third phase I call knowing love. That's the repair phase. I see exactly what kind of jerk you are, but you know what? What the hell? Come on in. I'm a jerk too. Would you like a cup of tea? And that's where, uh, that's where I want us to head, knowing love, the conjunction of truth and love. That's so, so beautiful. And in our patriarchal society with all of the social media and the, you know, idea that women have to be size two and men have to be these amazing buffed up providers. That's, that's a high bar for a lot of people to get to, because we all think we have to be perfect and that only when we're perfect, can we get there? Yeah. I talk to women about working with the guy you've got instead of the one you deserve. <laughs> and that's so true. So true. So, <laughs> you know, I'll deal with it. I've done this, actually. I'll deal with a very narcissistic. Yet. Actually, let me do it this way. The psychoanalyst, Ethel, Ethel Person, uh, once uh, I heard her speak and she said something really struck me. She said, during the course of one dinner conversation, your partner will look to you fascinating, boring, scintillating, tedious, intrusive, distant, gorgeous, ugly, and a, a healthy person gets up from the dinner conversation and thinks, nice dinner. Yeah. And a mature person thinks, if I was with the right partner, I wouldn't be feeling all that. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. So it's really about embracing our imperfections with one another. Um, I'll have these very narcissistic guys with their lists of, you know, She's got to be six foot two, have 32 inch legs, speak five languages. And I'll, I'll actually have them give me the list 
Someone, I mean, the, the Vegas one guy came in with an 18 page list of all the qualities of his ideal woman. And I read them all out loud. And then I turned to him and I said, you know, the only problem here is if you could find this girl, why would she be interested in you? <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot. 18 pages. That, that's kind of. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty steep. Yeah. I ask people to do what I call a relational reckoning. If you're asking yourself, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. This is a tool and it consists of one question. But it's a complicated question. Here's the question. Okay. Am I getting enough in this relationship to make grieving what I'm not getting worth my while? Ooh. Am I getting enough in this relationship to make grieving what I'm not getting okay with me? And grieve we do. Yes. Grieve we do. I got to tell you, Laura, if... If I want to, if I want to help Belinda, my wife, uh, fall asleep, all I have to do is give her one of my academic articles. She's out in five minutes. Right. And, you know, I'll be out with friends, and there'll be some super intellectual person, uh, uh, particularly a woman, particularly a pretty woman, and we'll get into a back and forth. And Belinda will go, "Why don't you have those conversations with me?" And I say, "Well, she was awake." <laughs> 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 but I'll, 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 you know, I'll look across the room at some super intellectual gal and there'll be a pang in my heart. And I'll be like, oh, God, I wish Belinda was more like that. Oh, well, too bad. But there's so much else that I adore and get nurtured by that I'll feel the pang and let it go. Yes. And that's a mature adult as opposed to feeling the pang and feeling like I have to change her or change partners. Yes. And that goes back to that belief that we have to have all needs met by one person, that they are the God or the goddess and they do it all for us. When in reality, no, we get nurtured by a lot of different relationships for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And it isn't the other person that's giving you the nurture. It's the biosphere that's giving you the nurture. Mm, very good point. Very yeah. good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Belinda is feisty. And uh, I have been in my day, younger day with more uh, sort of overtly adoring, accommodating women. Uh, and uh, Belinda can be a real pain in the butt. Uh, she's such a pain in the butt. She thinks that I can be a pain in the butt. How sick is that? <laughs> but it isn't. And sometimes I'll long for that kind of young, you know, idealized adoration. But that's not what I'm getting from this relationship. What I'm getting from this relationship is that I thrive. Yes. And I, I don't look to Belinda for me to thrive. I look for our marriage for me to thrive. It's a big difference. Yes. Yes. A big difference. And I think that is so valuable, especially for the listeners of this show, to be able to reframe themselves, their partner, the situation into the idea of what is the biosphere that I want to create? What is a biosphere that I will thrive in? And how can I let go of maybe some of these five, you know, toxic behaviors and learn some new skills in order to create something that will be healthy and good for me? So I'm not in pain. I'm not grieving. I'm not constantly in the state of fight, flight, or freeze. So I can be just healthy and connected. Yeah. You know, um, I'll look at Belinda or she'll look at me and uh, we'll bow, uh, literally nod our heads and say, uh, honey, I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to work on myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my husband and I have a, a loser hand signal that we always have. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, you were such a loser because now I have to address that. Thank you. <laughs> Well, where can people, first of all, find this book, find your other books, and also get in touch with you and your institute, because what you do is so powerful. And I know that you can't do it for everybody, but yes, you've trained other therapists around this. And where can they learn more? Just go to my website. Uh, just go to terryreal.com, T-E-R-R-Y-R-E-A-L. 
Uh, the new book comes out June 7th. You can pre-order it now, uh, but it comes out June 7th. And uh, it would really help me if you got it around that date, because that's what the New York Times tracks. Uh, buy the book, go to my website. I've got a, a beautiful uh, tool uh, on the website, how to, how to track where you are as a person up, down, boundaryless, walled off, how to track your partner and the relationship. That's a free tool you can use. And there are all sorts of resources. There are therapists that, that are certified, uh, but also workshops and a lot of things that are waiting for you there. Wonderful. Check him out, listeners. His work has been absolutely transformational, not only to myself and to my clients, but to my husband too. And in order to create the kind of biosphere that I have wanted to survive and thrive in, this work has been very instrumental. So absolutely check it out. I will put everything in the show notes as well. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are, because who you are is always more than enough. Wait a minute. Before you go on, I've got something for you that you are going to love. It's the Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide, a downloadable guide that shows you exactly how to untangle yourself from the past, powerfully reclaim your sexy, and re-choreograph your future one step at a time. The best part? It's free. And downloading it gives you access to our monthly support calls as well. What are you waiting for? Break out of the pain and get your sparkle on today. Go to nakedselfworth.com. That's www.nakedselfworth.com and get your guide today. Tune in next time to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle, and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.